Well, hey, welcome to the online services of First Baptist Rock Hill. We are so excited that you decided to join us today. Uh, one of the things that we're called to do as believers is we're called to serve like Christ. And part of that is serving with kindness. And today, Pastor Steve is going to bring a message from the book of Obadiah about serving with kindness. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we want to encourage you to get that out. Start finding the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament and settle in. Again, thank you for joining us today and carving out a portion of your day just to spend with us. As we get started, would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather around our TV, our, our phone, our computer screen, whatever the case might be, so that we can open the word and, Lord, that we can be transformed, not for the moment, but for eternity by what you have to say to us. God, I pray that as Pastor Steve comes and preaches about serving with kindness, God, that it would impact our heart in such a way that we would be changed. Lord, again, we just thank you for who you are. We love you and say these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Now for Pastor Steve's sermon. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm so excited you've joined me for today's message from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. Before we get to the message, though, I want to say something about Impact Week. We've designated one week this month at First Baptist for our life groups, what many of you would call Sunday school classes, for our life groups just to go out into our community and, and show God's love to people. We want to love on the people of Rock Hill for a whole week. And so each life group is doing a different project, is finding a different way to just minister to people, to care for people. We have several groups, for example, that are going to be feeding and ministering to the homeless uh, during the week. Uh, we have one group that is providing a reception for all the staff, all the employees at our uh, sheriff's office just to say thank you to them. And other groups are taking snacks and treats to all of our local fire department and police departments so we can just say, hey, thank you for the way you protect us and care for the people of this city. I thought it was interesting. One group is going to give a goodie bag, if you will, to everybody who gets vaccinated for COVID at one of our local pharmacies. There's another life group that is taking homegrown vegetables from gardens and delivering them to people in a particular neighborhood. I thought that was a neat thing to do. And and uh, then one is uh, one group is, uh, is is finding ways to say thank you to and recognize all of the administrative assistants in all of our elementary schools in Rock Hill. People that don't always get a lot of attaboys, they're going to give them some attaboys. And so I'm really proud of the people of our church. And that's, that's just some of the ways they're doing it. There are others. So all of our groups are just finding ways to love on people during Impact Week. And I can't wait to see what God does through all of that. And, and somebody might ask, why? Why are you asking all of your life groups to do things like that? Well, several reasons. One is we want to show people that God loves them. We want people to know that because we are God's people, we care and we love them as well. Um, I think it's a biblical thing to do and a good thing to, to bless people and to encourage people. And in some cases, meeting the needs of people, whether it's a, you know, a real physical need of hunger for people who are homeless or uh, encouragement to people who do important work day after day and month after month and don't get a lot of thank yous, but hear a lot of complaints. We need to bless them and encourage them. 
I think another reason we do all of this is just to set an example for our children. We as parents are supposed to disciple our children to be servants of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we do that is by asking them to, to serve with us. Recently, we had a group of, I believe it was 27 volunteers paint a house uh, downtown um, uh, as part of the city's uh, rolling in Rock Hill uh, annual focus. And and uh, I saw a photograph. There was a little, uh, uh, one of our 10-year-old boys was painting the porch of that house. And uh, he had told his parents ahead of time that he wanted to paint the house. And so they had to sign up. And, and, and so we want to disciple our children. That set an example for them. And another reason, just as important as all the others, is it's important we create a culture of caring in our church, a culture of serving in our church. And so that's some of the reasons we we do that. And do, do you remember Jesus? Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 31 said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And in the Old Testament, there is a powerful example of what goes wrong when we treat people badly and why it's important for us to treat others with kindness. So I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me to the Old Testament book of Obadiah. If you don't know where Obadiah is, it's just one chapter. It's the smallest book in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, uh, and it's found between the books of Amos and Jonah, Amos and Jonah, so the book of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was a prophet who lived approximately 850 years before uh, Jesus Christ, and we know very little about him. God gave Obadiah a message of judgment on the nation of Edom. Uh, it's not a message to the Israelis, to the Jewish people. It is a message of judgment on, on a nation that was located southeast of Israel called Edom. Today, that would be the area that's in the southern part of the modern nation of uh, Jordan. And, and the message of judgment on the people of Edom is because of how they treated the people of Judah, the people of Israel. And the truth is, there had been this long, centuries-long history of, of conflict between the Jews and the Edomites. And it all starts way back in the book of Genesis when, when uh, twin boys, Jacob and Esau, are born to Isaac and Rebekah. And they came out of the womb fighting with one another. These two brothers were as different as night and day. And uh, they had conflict for much of their lives. And, and the truth is, they were both at times at fault. Both of them were wrong. And the parents made matters worse by playing favorite to those two boys. The dad liked Esau better and the mom liked Jacob better. And that only made things worse. And this, this childhood conflict between Jacob and Esau carried into adulthood and was passed on down to their descendants. Now... Here's the important thing. The descendants of Jacob became the Jewish people in the nations of Israel, in Judah. The descendants of, of Esau became the Edomites. They moved to the hill country southeast of Judah and became the nation of Edom. And in the centuries that followed, there was always conflict between them, or quite often. 
uh, during the, the time of the Exodus when the Jews uh, were delivered during the days of Moses from slavery in Egypt and, and they were making their way to the promised land. The shortest route was through Edom. And on their way to the promised land, the, 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 Jew, the Jews who had been set free uh, had to fight many battles. Uh, other nations would attack them, and God God defended them, and they won those battles. But 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 the shortest route was through Edom, and God said to the Jewish people, "Do not attack the Edomites because they are your relatives. You're all descended from those two twin brothers, so so don't attack them." And when when the Jewish slaves who had been freed from Egypt asked for permission to pass through Edom, the shortest route, the leaders of Edom said no. We're not going to attack you, but you can't come through our land. And so the Jews had to go the long way around on their journey to the promised land. And that only added to the animosity. And over the years that would follow, there would be some times when they would get, when, when these two nations would get along, but more often than not, they were having skirmishes. Sometimes it was small battles, other times it was big wars, and, and then you get to the time of King David, the great king of the Jewish people, and he actually conquered the nation of Edom and made them a vassal state. They were servants to the Jewish people for about a century. Eventually, they won their independence, and, and after that, there were more skirmishes and more wars, and now you come down to the time of Obadiah. And I hope you've already opened your Bible to Obadiah. You found it by now. Obadiah lived about 850 years before Christ. And in the book of 2 Chronicles 21, the Philistines and Arabs came together to attack Judah and Jerusalem, and the nation of Edom joined with them. Jerusalem failed. Jerusalem was defeated with the help of the Edomites, and they looted the palace, carried off not only some of the wealth of Judah, of Jerusalem, but carried off some of the citizens as slaves. And as a result of that, God sent the prophet Obadiah with a message of judgment, condemning the nation of Edom because they joined forces with the Philistines and Arabs in attacking Israel because they treated God's people so badly. And so in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 10, the Bible says this, because of violence. Now this is God through Obadiah speaking to the nation of Edom. And he says, because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. God says to the nation of Edom, a day is going to come when not only will you be ashamed of all that you've done and of how bad things have become for you, but a day is coming in the future when you will be cut off, when your nation will cease to exist. And so Obadiah, in this prophecy, makes very clear the bad things the people of Edom did to the people of Judah. And how God was going to judge them as a result. There are some important truths you and I need to learn. There are are some important biblical truths, biblical principles that you and I need to keep in mind in our lives and in our relationships and in how we vote and in how we go about things in life. Lessons we can learn from God's judgment on Edom as delivered through the prophet Obadiah. 
Now, here's the first truth we need to always keep in mind in life when it comes to how we treat other people. Listen, here's the first thing. Pride is always dangerous. Pride is always dangerous. And Obadiah, the first part of verse 3, he says, The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. He said to the people of Edom, you are so puffed up with pride, so puffed up with confidence, so puffed up with arrogance that your heart is deceiving you. And the way we are sometimes deceived is that pride and arrogance blind us to reality, blind us to the truth. But so can success. So can the advantages we inherit. We've all seen on television or, or, or experienced in our own lives people who were born to privilege and wealth and power. And sometimes it blinds them to reality. Earlier this year, I read a biography called The Journey of Crazy Horse. It was the story of Crazy Horse, the Indian uh, chief and warrior, you know, part of Custer's Last Stand and all of that. And I have to tell you, when I read read that book, I learned a lot I did not know. And some things I already knew, I, I started understanding them even more completely, better, if you will. And, and there's a lot in that book about not only the displacement of Indians and how we stole the property of Native Americans and broke treaty after treaty. If we would sign a treaty saying they could live here and suddenly we found gold or something else on that property, we would break the treaty, force them off and give them worse lands. But I also learned a lot about how settlers and the cavalry at times treated the Dakota Indians and the brutality of the whites, the the mutilation of, of bodies that the soldiers and other white settlers sometimes uh, carried out on on the Dakota Indians and others. And and uh, when I when I was talking with people, when I would share with people, I've read this book about Crazy Horse, and here's some of the things I learned. It, 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 it's amazing how many times somebody would come back. Well, you know, the Indians only did that after, you know, the, the soldiers, rather, let me correct myself, the cavalry and the whites only tortured the Indians after they did bad things to us. Because we have this blind spot that says it was always the Indians who started it. And that's not true. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is sometimes our pride causes us to always want to blame somebody else. Always want to say, no, 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 we didn't start it. Pride is dangerous because it blinds us to the truth. It blinds us to reality and it can make us unteachable. The second way is that pride deceives us because not only does it blind us, but it always leads to a hard fall. Obadiah and, and the second part of verse 3 and then in verse 4 he, he, he's, he's speaking to the people of Edom and he says, here's what you think. Here's how you think. He said, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Because the, the country they lived in was a mountainous region that was difficult to access. They lived in the cliffs. It was hard for armies to attack. And therefore they thought, man, we are safe from invasion. Nobody can, nobody can really defeat us. And then in verse 4, the prophet said, Though you build high like the eagle, 
though you set your nest among the stars from there. Now, this is God speaking through Obadiah. From there, from those high places, from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The book of Proverbs tells us that pride goes before a fall. Edom thought they were safe. God said, no, you're really not. And, and what we, and, and Obadiah talks about it, but what we also know is that after they joined forces with the Philistines and the Arabs to attack Judah and Jerusalem, in time the Philistines and Arabs turned around and attacked Edom and defeated them. Their friends turned on them. See, when you get in bed with evil, when you get in bed with people who have a wrong heart and a wrong mind and a wrong attitude, sooner or later it's going to come back and bite you. Sooner or later they are going to turn on you. And so that happened to them. And remember that verse a moment ago about being just cut off, uh, obliterated? Some years later the Babylonian army attacked Edom and wiped it from the face of the earth and Edom never existed as a nation again after that Babylonian attack. God said, I'm bringing you down. And he did. Pride, pride is always a dangerous thing. And especially when you allow pride to distort how you look at other people, how you feel about other people, how you think and talk about other people, how you treat other people. A second truth from Obadiah we need to remember is this. Our attitude, now listen, our attitude at our response to the misfortune of others speaks loudly about the real condition of our own heart. In verse 12, God says to the people of Edom through the prophet Obadiah, do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. When that coalition of Arabs, Philistines, and Edomites conquered Jerusalem, looted the palace, and carried people off as slaves, God said to the Edomites, Do not gloat over your brother's misfortune. Do not, he says in verse 12, do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. And one of the sad things about our culture today in America is that we sometimes gloat, rejoice, celebrate, get excited, are happy when somebody else that we don't like falls on hard times. And we say, man, I'm glad they got what they deserved. We as Christians we as the followers of Jesus Christ need to guard our heart against an arrogant attitude that allows us to gloat, to celebrate the fall, the misfortune of others. When others fall, when others encounter hardships and misfortune, even if it's people with whom we disagree, rather than gloating, we should be heartbroken at their condition, heartbroken at the circumstances that brought them to that. We should, we should have humility, not rejoicing at the misfortune of another group of people. A third truth from Obadiah about how we treat people, something we need to keep in mind is this. Do not passively stand by while others are being oppressed. 
Don't stand on the sideline, say nothing, do nothing when you have the ability to say something and do something when you see other people being wronged, when you see other people being oppressed. In verse 11, God through the prophet Obadiah said, On the day that you stood aloof, talking to the Edomites again, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers, the Philistines and Arabs, carried off his wealth, the wealth of Judah, and foreigners entered his gate, the gates of the city of Jerusalem, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. The nation of Edom supported the Philistines and Arabs when they attacked Jerusalem. They weren't at the front of the army. They were standing to the side, but they supported it. And then they went in and took part in the looting. But he said, when, when, you stood, when you stood by and you watched what was happening to the people of Jerusalem, and remember, they're actually your kin people. If you go back far enough, both of you descended from twin brothers. When you stood aloof, when you stood on the sideline and said nothing and did nothing, as, as your kinsmen, as these other people, as these Jews were being oppressed, God said, it's as if you were one of the ones oppressing them. The biblical truth is that when we see people being injured, we need to speak up and step up. We need to get involved and make a difference because doing nothing makes us guilty as though we were one of the oppressors ourselves. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about World War II and Germany and the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. And, and you'll sometimes hear people ask the question, how could the people of Germany allow Adolf Hitler to exterminate six million Jews? How did the church in Germany, how did the clergy in Germany stand by and say nothing and do nothing as their nation became the heart of evil, exterminating so many people? And yet there are stories of many in World War II and Holland and the Netherlands and other places protecting Jews from the Nazis who tried to help. The popular movie some years ago, Schindler's List, the story of a powerful businessman who used his own wealth to do what he could to save the lives of Jews by employing them in his factory. In Christian circles, there's the well-known story of Corrie ten Boom and her family, the book and movie by the name of The Hiding Place, who hid several Jews from the Nazis until they were eventually betrayed and their family and, and, and the Tin Boom family placed in concentration camps and Corey being the only one who survived. Internationally, the more famous or well-known story is that of Anne Frank, her diary, and her family who were hidden for just over two years from uh, the Nazis until they too were betrayed and then all of the family except the father, Otto Frank, died in concentration camps at the hands of the Germans. One of the persons, a woman, she was young at the time, who helped protect the Frank family. She died 11 years ago. And on one occasion, she said this. She said, I am not a hero. I stand at the end of the long, long line of good Dutch people who did what I did and more, much more, during those dark and terrible times 
years ago. It, we, we, we love the stories of, of, of people who stepped up and did what was right to help people being oppressed. And we wonder, we wonder why others did not. And uh, I, I know we, we don't understand all the, the forces that were, that were at work. But what about today? I may not understand what it was like to live in Nazi Germany or occupied Europe in the 1940s, but what about today? This, this is my day. This is your day. This is the day we live. And, and how do you feel and how do you think and how do you talk and what do you do when it comes to the issues of of the struggles of, of poor Americans. How do you react to their plight? And what do you do? When it comes to the frustrations of black Americans and other minorities, what, how do you react? Are you willing to hear their stories and their heart and their cries? When it, when it comes to the reality that women are hesitant to report not only rape but other forms of sexual abuse and sexual harassment because they know that more often than not they won't be believed and 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 do you allow the the, the thinking that that maybe somebody will make a false accusation and so there's this one false accusation against hundreds of true claims and it intimidates women how do you react to that that's our day those are our issues. And just like God spoke through Obadiah to the people of Edom, he is speaking through his word by the Holy Spirit to you and me. What are we going to do about these issues and so many others? What are we going to do to help people today in our day? Or are we going to stand aloof and say nothing, do nothing? And offer excuse after excuse for the status quo when the status quo was not always righteous or godly. 100 years ago, there was a young black couple by the name of Charles and Willa Bruce who purchased some property on, on the beach in Southern California because at that time blacks weren't allowed to go to the public beaches. So they, brought, they, they purchased two large lots. And uh, built a little restaurant. It became a haven, if you will, for black citizens of Southern California where they could go to the beach. It was the only place pretty much they could go to the beach. But it's became more and more popular with black Americans, black Californians there. Uh, the white neighbors began to protest and complain. The KKK took action. And so a few years after they purchased that property in 1924, the city condemned the property and stole it from that black couple under the guise of eminent domain. It was their response to the complaints of the whites. And for years, the property sat there, overgrown. They eventually turned it into a small park. Earlier this year, the leaders of that city and the leaders in California voted and passed legislation that returned that stolen property to the heirs of its rightful owners. Today it's worth millions. And while that's a good thing to do today, it did nothing to help the couple whose lives were ruined by unjust action over a century, you know, a century ago. Here's the thing. You see, 
It's never too late to find a way. We, we can't go back and fix. We can't go back and change. But it's never too late to find a way to do what's right. It's never too late to find a way to acknowledge, to acknowledge a wrong done. That's one of the truths that we learn from the book of Obadiah. And then here's another one. Don't kick someone when they're down. Don't kick someone when they're down. Look at verse 13 in Obadiah. He says, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. In other words, to the Edomites, don't you go in Jerusalem when they've been defeated. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot, listen, do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Jerusalem was defeated. The Arabs, the Philistines, and the Edomites went into Jerusalem and carried off much of the wealth of that nation. They looted Jerusalem. They kicked them when they were down. And it's so easy to take advantage of someone when they are weak and powerless. It's so easy to kick somebody when they're down and, and take from them what they don't have the resources to defend, yet it's rightfully theirs. Brothers and sisters, just because some something is legal does not make it right. Just because we can do something does not mean we should do something. Rather than kicking someone when they're down, we should give them a hand and help them stand back up. Here's the fifth and final lesson. The truth, truth, biblical truth from Obadiah we need to learn and remember. Eventually, eventually people are going to treat us like we treat others. And God is always noticing how we treat Others. In verse 15, God said to the people of Edom through the prophet Obadiah, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you, now listen to this. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. And God says the way you treat others eventually is how you're going to be treated. If not in this life, and quite often it is in this life, but if not in this life, absolutely in the next one when you stand before your Lord, when you stand before God on the judgment day. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said, In everything, therefore. Now notice that he didn't qualify. He said, In everything, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus is saying the Old Testament and the New Testament say the same thing. In other words, Jesus is saying whatever the Bible says is what he is saying. And Obadiah says the way we treat people matters. And God notices. In your life today, what can you do to better understand someone who's different than you? I mentioned having read the book Crazy Horse, and I have a much better understanding of, of the, the, the Plains Indians and what they endure, what American Indians, Native Americans endured as, uh, as, as we moved across this continent. And brothers and sisters, there was a lot of wrong on our ancestors' part. I read Rachel Den Hollander's book, What is a Girl Worth, about Larry Nasser and sexual abuse 
And I learned a lot. I never would have learned if I had not read that book. What are you doing? What can you do to better understand situations and people that are different, whose backgrounds and experiences are different than yours? Don't arrogantly and with pride say, oh, that doesn't matter. I don't need to. Yes, we need to know why. Because we care. Because it's right. Because it's the good thing to do. What can you do today to help someone who's in a tough spot? What can you do today to really get to know somebody whose skin is a different color than yours? What can you do today to make Rock Hill a better place to live, not for some of us, but for all of us? What can you do to better understand somebody who's different than you? Hey, how about this? What... Are, are there times you can stand up that you're willing to stand up and say the political party you vote for most of the time is wrong on this particular issue? Or do we all have to do crowd thinking, whatever the Democrats say or whatever the Republicans say, it's always right. What can you do to treat people, to treat all people like you want to be treated? In our church family, we recently read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desirable in a man is his kindness. God was kind to us because we were sinners rebelling against him. And yet he showed us kindness by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Can you show kindness for people who need it? Who need it? Because someday you're going to need it. Hey, God bless you. I look forward to being with you again next Sunday.